welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. But I have to tell you as we get started about something that happened to me yesterday that I cannot make up. Now, most of you who have known me for longer than a day or two know that I enjoy telling stories and that those stories on occasion very rarely have some very minor embellishments. This is not one of those stories, I promise you. I cannot make up what happened to me yesterday, the day before I was preaching on the Good Samaritan. Uh, I was sent by Angie to pick up one thing at Sam's Club, so I hopped in my car, I drove to Sam's Club, I picked up um, some beverages, and I'm headed home. And as I'm driving out of the parking lot, There is this woman, she looks to be, I don't know, 55 or 60 years old, and she is standing by her car at the far end of one of the aisles at Sam's Club. And I'm driving down this aisle, and she's waving. She's waving. And and I'm, I'm, I'm literally in my car, like, looking around. Like, I, the way she's waving, it looks like, you know, somebody who was with her can't find the car that was with her. I'm not entirely sure what's going on, so I'm just kind of slowly creeping down the aisle as I'm kind of looking around like, who is this lady waving to, right? And as I get closer, she starts pointing at me and making the international sign for roll down your window, right? Which is funny because very few of us actually have to do this to roll down our window anymore, but be that as it may, I roll down my window and and this woman looks at me and goes, can you help me? Sure, what's going on? And she points with her hand. What I, what I didn't see is she was waving with one hand. As she points with her hand, I see that her thumb is stuck in the trunk of her car. She's like, I, I shut my thumb in the car. Can you help me? And so like, I like throw my car into park and like jump out. And like her keys are on top. I'm like fumbling with her keys. She's like, no, you don't need the keys. Just open the trunk. Just open the trunk. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. okay. And I, and I open the trunk and... Not to be too graphic, but her, her, her thumb was wavy. Okay, we'll just leave it there. And so I'm, I am like panicked, right? I'm like, this woman is, is not young, and her thumb is wavy. And so like, I'm like, do you, do you need me to call 911? I, do, what, what do you need me to do? Can I, can I help you? What do you? And she goes, no, I think I'll be fine. And she grabs like a napkin out of the back of her trunk of her car, puts it on her thumb, and, like, is about to carry on with her business. And I'm like, I I literally said, ma'am, your thumb is wavy. (laughs) As if she doesn't know, because I am just, like, flummoxed. Like, I have no idea what to do, because this woman is being so cavalier and so casual about a wavy thumb. I mean, she she is acting about like this, about, like, the way that, like, when I, like, a piece of a bag is sticking out of the trunk. And I go, oh, yeah, let me take care of that. I take care of it. Okay, thank you. I mean, I was flummoxed. I had no idea what to do. But she's like, no, no, you're fine. You can leave now. And I'm just sort of standing there, and she hops in her car and is ready to go and, like, seems like everything is fine. So I'm like, okay, well, apparently that was my... That was my good Samaritan deed of the day, right? That's, what, that's where our mind goes, right? I saved some old lady from her trunk and carried on about my day. 
When we think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is about what we think it reduces down to, right? I mean, everybody, everybody loves the idea of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you grew up in church or not, most of us have heard at least the bones of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And by and large, everybody agrees with it, right? We, we think, you know, well, what's the moral of the Good Samaritan story? Well, the moral of the story is, be nice. And if we were to walk out over onto Central Avenue and start walking up and down the street and saying, hey, do you agree in general with the premise and the, the idea to be nice to other people? I would say that 99 out of 100 people would go, yeah, by and large, I think the idea of being nice is a really good idea. Like, you're going to find very few people who are anti-nice. And we like the parable of the Good Samaritan because we allow it to be safe. We allow it to tell us just to be nice. When you see old women at Sam's Club with wavy thumbs, help them out. What happens, though, is when we sort of domesticate, when we tame the parable of the Good Samaritan into just this nice little tale about why we should be nice, we end up missing the point. We misunderstand what Jesus is telling us in the parable because we want it to be simple and we want it to just be a good pat on the back to go and be nice. And honestly, the reason why we do that is because we don't want to look very hard. We're okay with a religion, with a Jesus that tells us, go be nice, because that's safe. What's offensive? What is shocking about, you should be nice to people? There is nothing shocking about that. Everybody says you should be nice to other people. And yet this parable created a stir to the people in Jesus' day. This parable was shocking. Why? What's the difference between our reading of this parable and a, a reading of this parable, a hearing of this parable that the people in Jesus' day would have heard that would have made it shocking? Part of it comes down to what we don't understand about distinctions that were going on in Jesus' time. You see, we hear Samaritan and we think, oh, yeah, right, that's just somebody who's like not from around there. I guess this is fine. But what we don't realize is that the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And they hated one another for some somewhat dubious reasons. About 600 years before Jesus told this parable, many of the people of Israel had been carted off, had been taken by the Babylonians to other parts of the world. And they kind of left the lower classes of society there in the land of Israel. So all of the sort of middle class and upper class people got taken away, and all of the lower class people got left. And so these lower class people decided, well, hey, we had a good run as the nation of Israel, but we're going to, hmm, let's just sort of start things on our own. Let's take care of things on our own. And so they sort of, while everybody was else was out in Babylon, they decided, well, we'll just build our own temple. Well, we'll just take care of everything on our own. And you know what? 
there's not a lot of us around to marry, so we'll marry anybody who comes along and we'll, we'll not sort of just marry people who are like us. Well, then about 70 years later, the Jews who were in Babylon got sent back. And here are these people who have, who have mixed with the, the enemies, who have had kids with the other people, who have built their own temple to worship the same God. And so they got into an argument and didn't like each other. In fact, their hatred for one another was so bad that when people of Israel traveled, if the straightest line between one place and another was through Samaria, was through the land of the Samaritans, they would walk around it. They would take their horse around the land of Samaria because they didn't even want to walk through that place. They would adjust their travels. It, was, it, would probably, it would be like us in Florida hating Georgia so bad that to go to South Carolina, what we would do is go up through the panhandle over into Alabama, then up into Tennessee, and across into South Carolina. Right? It's that sort of like terribly out-of-the-way traveling. Right? It's, it's, as some people say, it's going around your elbow to get to your thumb. That's how bad... They hated one another. And in order for us to understand what Jesus is getting at in this parable, you have to do something. You have to think about this. Who is it that you disdain so much that you will avoid driving through a certain neighborhood? Where is that place that you just won't go? Let me put this another way. When you're at Green Bench and somebody walks in, who is the person that when they walk in, you tab out? Who is the person that when they are somewhere, you don't want to be there? Maybe someone from your past who you refuse to talk to. Maybe it's somebody who has hurt you and you have good reason not to. Whatever it is, whoever it is, whatever group of people, whatever, whatever your mind fills this box with, that is what the Jews thought of the Samaritan. And so Jesus is going to tell us this story where that person that we disdain is the hero. So let's do this. Let's stand together, and I'm going to read you the parable of the Good Samaritan. Starting in verse 25 of Luke 10, the Bible says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, that's the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And... Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, 
a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago, and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So, this story begins with a lawyer. And I'm not going to stand here and make a lawyer joke. It would be easy. It would be easy to say something like, why don't sharks bite lawyers? Because of professional courtesy to one another, right? It would be easy, but I'm not going to make that joke. I'm not going to do that, okay? But this lawyer is not necessarily a lawyer like we think of, right? A lawyer in this part of the Bible is someone who studies the law of the Old Testament. And this guy who studies the law of the Old Testament day and night decides that he is going to test Jesus. Now, first of all, this is not a great idea, right? Testing Jesus about the law of God is about as good of an idea as it is as taking Liam Neeson's children from him. Not good. There's one thing. That guy has one set of skills. But it's interesting because this whole passage is set up and we understand something just by what this lawyer is trying to do. Is this lawyer coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, teach me. Jesus, help me understand. Is this lawyer coming to him and saying, Jesus, here is what I am hoping to learn from you? No, he's not. He stands up and is trying to prove a point. He's trying to catch Jesus. Well, this doesn't go well, right? Jesus says, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be blessed by God? What must I do to be saved. And Jesus says to him, oh, what do you think? Right? The classic teacher thing, right? Answering your question with a question. What do you say? How do you read the law, lawyer? And he says, well, I should love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, nailed it. Good job. Do those things. Do these things that you just said. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do this, and you will live. Now, there's a problem that the lawyer had that all of us have as well. See, the lawyer just got told 
that if you want to live, if you want to live in the favor of God, you have to live perfectly. And if you don't perfectly, you will die. And the lawyer does something that is just like you and I. The lawyer hears Jesus say, what I require is perfection. For you to love me with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your strength, and to always love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what does the lawyer do that's so common to us? What does he do that is just like you and me? He tries to justify himself. He tries to make himself worthy by asking Jesus this question. Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? This is this is something we all do. Even not in like you know, big questions of morality, even in small things, right? If you talk to a police officer, of whom we have a several that come here to City Church, you ask them, what's the first question people ask them when they find out they're a police officer? It's usually something like this. How fast can I go before you pull me over? Right? They want to know, how, how much of the law can I break before you'll actually, like, hold it against me? Like, how long can I let my tags go out before before it's a bad thing, right? How loud of music in my backyard barbecue is too loud? We, we want to know, we want to justify ourselves and know how far is too far, Mr. Police Officer. Tell me, so I can get right up against that line, right? The old, the old thing of nine, you're fine, ten, you're mine, right? So like when the speed limit says 55, it means 64, We all have this desire to justify ourselves. And this is exactly what the lawyer is doing. Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is the bare minimum number of people that I have to love as myself in order to fulfill the law? This is where our heart goes. Think about it. How many times do you think in your life That if I just do these set of things, God will be happy with me. If I just avoid this set of sins, God will love me and I will have his favor. We all get trapped in this, don't we? Our hearts and minds are constantly saying, what is it that I can do? To make God love me. What is the bare minimum requirements to get God's favor? Who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus, so I can know? We do this with so many things. How many drinks is too, how many beers is too many beers? How far can I go with my girlfriend? What exactly is considered embezzlement from the company that I work for. How can I bend the rules to make what I do for a living fit? Whatever it is we do, we have in our minds this desire to justify ourselves by our actions. One of the ways that you can see that you do this is when you allow yourself to sin 
because you think you deserve it because of how good you have been. Think about it this way. How many times have you come to a fork in the road and you say, I know it's wrong to do this, but I have been awful good today. I have been awful good this week. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to go down that road because I deserve this. It's the same mentality that says, I went to the gym this morning. I can totally eat two Snickers ice cream bars. This is fine. I went to the gym. All is right. When we do that, when we have that sort of mindset that, oh, yeah, sure, God will, I can get a little, I can, I can do this one thing that I know is wrong, but I did so many other. What that's showing us is how much we have a propensity to try to justify ourselves through our actions. Which is exactly what this lawyer was trying to do. You know, it's interesting. Whoever you filled in your mind, that person that you disdain, how often do we justify ourselves by saying, well, they're bad, and I'm good. If they just worked harder, they'd be more like me. If they just had the right morality, they would be more like me. Again, we are self-justifiers, just like this lawyer. And it's interesting what Jesus does with this story. Because we would expect that Jesus would try to make the hero of this story sympathetic to the self-justifying lawyer. But he doesn't, does he? He says a person, and he implies a Jewish person, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he got beat. He got robbed. He got beat within an inch of his life and left bloody on the side of the road. And along came a priest, and the priest walked over to the other side of the street. We all, we all know exactly what that feeling is, right? Greenpeace used to be like aggressively on the 600 block of Central Avenue. And I can remember not wanting to talk to them again, not because I hate Greenpeace, but because like, no, I don't, I'm not going to give you cash right here on the street because you have a clipboard that says Greenpeace. Right, And so I would literally cross over to the other side of the road to avoid them. That's exactly what the priest does when he passes this guy bloody on the ground. And then a Levite, a religious official of the people of Israel comes by, and guess what he does? The same thing. And here's where Jesus lands his punch. He says, and then there was a Samaritan. You know the people that you hate? You know the people that you disdain? You know the, think, the people that you think are morally inferior to you? Yeah, one of those people comes by. And what does that person do? What does the Samaritan do? Does he stop and help him a little? No. He helps him a lot. He lavishes help on this guy who is beaten. He heals his wounds. He, he binds up his wounds. He puts oil and wine on them. That's the equivalent of medicine that they had for the day. Disinfectant and salve. He binds up his wounds. He puts this guy on 
his animal, takes him to the closest inn, and not only stays with him through the night to make sure that he's doing okay, but in the next morning, leaves money to spare to say, hey, if this guy needs room service, however long this guy needs to stay, whatever this guy needs, here's a down payment, and when I come back, I'll pay you anything it takes to get this guy back to health and back on his feet. Jesus turns to this self-justifying lawyer who asks him who his neighbor is, and he doesn't tell him, be nice. This isn't a story of being nice. This is a story of self-sacrifice in the face of your enemy. Think about it. It wasn't just that he was kind to the Samaritan. He didn't hand him two denarii and say, you'll get back on your feet, champ. Go get him. No. He gives him his wine. He gives him his oil. He takes and puts him on his horse and pays for his stay with his money. This is self-sacrifice in the face of an enemy. You see, if Jesus would have told this story and reversed the characters, if Jesus would have said a Samaritan was on this road and a Jew came up to him and found him bloodied on the side of the road, what he would have said is, man, I would have floored it and ran over him even more because he deserves it. But Jesus says, no, that's not the way I'm going to tell this story. The way I'm going to tell the story is, your enemy shows lavish love to you. And so it's not just about being nice. It's about real, self-sacrificial love to those you disdain. Think again about the person who you want to avoid the most. What does self-sacrificial love look like in the face of that relationship? That's what Jesus is talking about. Not be nice. Not always have a, a roll of sandwiches to give to people here in St. Pete. That's nice. No, he's talking about real self-sacrifice. Something that costs you. But just like the idea of loving God with our whole heart and mind, just like the fact that we are self-justifiers, we are not people who are self-sacrificial. And maybe when we are, it's certainly not towards our enemies, not towards those we disdain. You see, what's interesting is, you and I are all in the same boat as this lawyer. But the good news is, church, that this story isn't just about self-sacrificial love of us towards others. This story is a picture of Jesus. You see, we are the lawyer who tries to justify himself. We are the victim on the side of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We do not perfectly love God. We constantly try to justify ourselves. We are not self-sacrificial in anything we do. We are morally 
beaten within an inch of our life because of our lack of perfection. And what happens? Jesus, our enemy because of our actions, comes down the road. He sees us. And He has compassion on us. And He heals our wounds. He binds us up. He dies in our place so that we might live. And then He doesn't just say, okay, now go be nice. He what? Provides for us as we walk into the future. You see, this story is not just a story of Samaritans and Jews. It's a story of Jesus having compassion on His enemies. You and I. You see, what this story is calling the lawyer to do, what this story is calling you and I to do, is to admit something is to admit that as much as we'd like to see ourselves in the Samaritan, we're really the lawyer. We're not the hero of the story. We're the one in need. But the story reminds us so beautifully that Jesus gave himself up for us. And so our call this morning, as we read this story of lawyers, of those who self-justify, as we read this story of our lack of self-sacrificial love towards those we disdain, what we're meant to do is call out to Jesus and say, I can't. I can't do this. I need you. I need you to forgive me for all of the ways that I do all of these things. Here's what happens. Because of the cross of Jesus, we are freely forgiven. You see, we are more messed up and broken than we think we are. But because of Jesus, we're more accepted and forgiven than we could possibly dream. He has not just set us right. He has not just healed our guilt and our shame. But He has provided for our future. He has lavished His love on us. Even though we don't deserve it even though we still as Christians continue to try to justify ourselves, even though we still as Christians have disdain for others. And when we begin to realize how good and deep the forgiveness of Jesus is, how real it is, how it applies to our hearts, something begins to happen. When we begin to see ourselves as the one in need, the way that we look at others begins to change. Because compassion begins to grow in our heart. Not because we ought to, but rather because Jesus is teaching us more and more that He loves us who are in need. Therefore, we can love others who are in need. Because Jesus sacrifices of His self, of His self, For us, we begin to look at our enemies, those we disdain, and are drawn to them in compassion and self-sacrifice. But it doesn't just start with trying to wake up in the morning and be nicer. It starts with us admitting and coming to Jesus and saying, I'm in need of someone to rescue me. And as we do that, 
our compassion grow.